Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. Good morning again. Right. Well, I was supposed to be on youth this morning, so I've decided to start this morning in a very youth-like way. Okay, so we're going to start with a quiz. We're going to start with a quiz. Now, do you want the competitive youth version of this, or do you want the boring adults version of this? What one? Right, for those that want the competitive youth version of it, stand up. Everyone stand up if you're able. If you're able, stand up. Right, this is the competitive youth version of this quiz. If you get an answer wrong, then you sit down, okay? The first question, by the way, this this quiz is all about the the content we consume and social media. So some of you might be sitting down already. (laughs) Right, first question. First question. How many hours a week does the average Gen Z which is those aged 11 to 26, spend looking at a screen. To clarify, let me clarify, this is globally, and yeah, don't worry, there is, it, this is multiple choice. This is globally, and we're talking about internet-connected screens. Right, so A, 40 hours a week, or B, 63 hours a week. Okay, hands up for 40 hours a week. And hands up for 63 hours a week. Those that said 40, sit down. Right. Right. A pretty safe guess that I'd go for the bigger one first, right? Okay, good. Right. What is the most used social media amongst teenagers? Is it A, YouTube? Or is it B... Instagram. I'm going to let you think about that. Right. Hands up for A, YouTube. Hands up for B, Instagram. Everyone that said Instagram, sit down. You're thinking too old than the Gen Zs. Question number three. Question number three. What is the average amount of social media accounts per person globally. The average amount of social media accounts per person globally. Is it A, 6.5 accounts? Or is it B, 8.5 accounts? Hands up for the average globally of all ages being 6.5 accounts. And hands up if you think it's 8.5 accounts. Those that said 6.5, sit down. Question number four. We're doing well. There's few left. How many hours per day does the average US teenager spend watching videos and TV? Is it A, three hours 16 a day? Or is it B, four hours 15 a day? Hands up for A, three hours, 16. Got one. And B, four hours, 15. If you said four hours, 15, sit down. Joni, you're on your own. 
Jenny, you got one more. Yeah, no, no, stay stood up. We've got one more. Everyone's going to watch what you say. Right. Jonah, what is the average daily screen time in the UK, not including any work-related screen time? Is it A, three hours, or is it B, five hours? Shout out your answer. It's the right answer. There's no prize. Well done. There we go. There is the youth version of our quiz this morning. If it wasn't already plainly obvious, then hopefully this quiz has painted a little picture of the vastly changing world that we live in. The amount of content that is consumed, the amount of time spent on social media. And it's a world that has changed so much that I don't think any of us in this room can quite comprehend it. I'm 26 and I've already fallen out of touch with social media and the technology and the world that I live in. This world of social media that's not changing, but has already changed. And if it wasn't plainly obvious before... It should be now that these changes have already happened. And there's lots of different outcomes of this new world that we live in, this world surrounded by social media. And one of them, one of the outcomes of the social media and increased screen time world that we live in is that we receive news instantly. In our pockets, we have access to every event that is currently happening absolutely anywhere. And interestingly, amongst teenagers, BBC News is only the fourth most popular source of news behind Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. Amongst millennials, Twitter rivals the mainstream news channels as the main source of news. That's between 26 and 40-year-olds. News comes quicker to us as anyone witnessing any incident or event can record and post before a journalist even leaves their office. But it has a lot of consequences to it. It means that the news that we receive is often less reliable and it's often more opinion-based, even more opinion-based than the news that we were receiving before. And then in this mix, you add AI. AI adds into this mix the rise of fake news, not knowing what to believe, especially for young people growing up in this environment. It's totally impossible. Just this week, for those that you've, uh, who haven't seen, a clip went around social media of Keir Starmer saying he hates the city of Liverpool, one of Labour's safe seats. And it turned out that the whole voice note was what's called a deep fake, which means that AI, uh, using AI, his voice was manipulated and made out to say something that was completely never said. And it all leads to a question, a question on the lips of many people in our modern world. 
and especially a question for young people who are even more heavily influenced by social media than many uh, of us are. And the question is this, how do I know what to believe? How does anyone know what to believe? So many theories, opinions and ideologies, both truth and false spreading like wildfire throughout social media that we cannot help but become people that are naturally sceptical. And I guess the question sometimes that we need to ask ourselves is, what does it look like to have faith and portray our faith in an environment, in a society that is naturally sceptical? In the past, it's been apologetics, arguing the case for God. But the reality is, when we use apologetics, when we argue the case of God, we are coming up against 2,500 hours of content that the average person consumes each year. 2,500 hours of content the average person consumes each year, full of ideologies and ways of living, things to believe and fake news. And when you see it like that, you realise that our Sunday services... The talks on a Sunday are just a drop in this vast ocean of content that is being consumed. And that's even for the people that go to church. How about those whose only Christian content, if you like, comes from the occasional TikTok video that pops up on their timeline? Or the christening they went to five years ago? Or the RE lesson that they had when they were back at school? So there's a first difficulty that we have as Christians that says, how do I know what to believe? Because we need to admit that even within uh, our faith, within Christian circles, there are so many different views, opinions and things being shared by many different people. But also, how do I spread the gospel in a world that doesn't know what to believe? And the other difficulty of this new world that we live in of pinging BBC breaking news notifications and social media reporting is we're surrounded, aren't we, by bad news. And whilst ignoring the tragedies around the world is both selfish and harmful, sometimes we can just wish that we could have a break, a break from the bad news a break from the breaking news ping. If you're anything like me, every time you get that ping on your phone, if you have the BBC News app, you think, what am I about to read now? What tragedy am I about to read about? Whenever you go on social media or read a news outlet, you read or you watch videos of war, of homelessness, of climate crisis, of cost of living, and the list goes on and on and on. And obviously, right now, this is a particularly clear thing that we're seeing with the awful scenes that that are happening in Israel and in Gaza. And in these tragedies, 
as we read about these tragedies, as we see videos about these tragedies, as we're surrounded by these tragedies, we can't help but see the worst of humanity. The selfishness, the greed, the hate. We can't help but see the brokenness of the society that we live in. We can't help but see the pain that people are enduring. And then at the same time, when we see tragedy in a weird way, within these tragedies, we, we see a glimpse of the best of humanity. We see in the response to these horrible situations and things going on, we see that people genuinely do care. We see in the response that often empathy does turn into compassion through aid and through support. And we see that the world that we live in, the people in this world that we live in, genuinely do seek love and justice in these moments. We see that there is this genuine desire held by our world for something different. We see that there's this genuine desire for a different story, for peace and for justice. And sometimes I think the church needs to remember and realise that this isn't just the hope and the passion of the church, but this is widespread across humanity. And what's interesting to me is in times like these, we recognise that we live in this post-Christendom society, a society that is shaped by Christian values, by love, compassion and unity. Mark Sayers describes it as a world longing for the kingdom without the king. And whilst this is great, whilst this is great that these values are widespread beyond and far past the church, we again have a question that we need to ask ourselves for the sake of our own faith and our own grounding, but also for the sake of what it looks like to share our faith. And the question that we have to ask when we see these values are shared beyond the church, we have to ask, what do we carry that is unique? What do we uniquely hold on to? What is our unique narrative that we can bring into the suffering that we endure, that the world is enduring? And for me, this is a question that is vital for us to grasp if we want to spread the good news. What is it that Christianity offers, that Jesus offers, that no one is able to receive from any other source? The reality is, for good or for bad, no longer will young people grow up with a faith simply because their parents have a faith. No longer will the content of church sermons be enough 
as it fights against the rest of the content being consumed. So we need to be able to articulate what is distinctive about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This quote's been on the screen since I started. It's from Pope Francis, who is brilliant at understanding culture and how culture affects the workings of evangelism and faith. And he said this, he said, our previous ways of explaining the world and relationships, good and bad, no longer appears to work. The way in which we locate ourselves in history has changed. Things we thought would never happen or we would never see, we are experiencing now. And we dare not even imagine the future. That which appeared normal to us, family, the church and the world, will probably no longer seem that way. We cannot simply wait for what we are experiencing to pass under the illusion that things will return to being how they were before. And I guess this is kind of the question that I want to look at this morning. What do we hold that is unique in times of darkness? What can we bring? What does Jesus bring? And what can we carry in a society full of content, full of bad news and full of fake news? And actually, if I'm honest, this morning, it's kind of shaped a little bit by a question that I was asked by a young person a couple of months ago. They asked me this question and it was great. I love that they asked it. They said to me, I've got a good life. I enjoy it. And I feel no need to change anything about it. So why should I become a Christian? Why follow Jesus? Why live my life for this Jesus? I want to look together at a passage uh, uh, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open to Isaiah chapter 61? It is going to be on the screens behind me. And the backstory of the book of Israel, uh, of Isaiah, sorry, is that The people of God are asking, God, where are you in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of turmoil? In the midst of the tough times that they are going through, they are asking, God, where are you? And God calls a prophet to speak into this place. And in Isaiah 61, we see this amazing passage that foreshadows the life of Jesus. And it gives, if you like, a manifesto of Jesus. And this is what it says. I'm going to start by just reading these first three verses and we're going to read the rest of it later on. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This prophecy that foreshadows the life of Jesus is a a prophecy of hope, a manifesto of good news to the poor, of binding up the brokenhearted, of freedom to the captives, of comfort to the morning, of a crown of beauty for ashes, of joy for mourning, of praise for despair. A prophecy of hope in the middle of darkness. And we do live. We can't get away from it. We live in a time where people are so aware of darkness. We live in a time when we're so aware of suffering. We're so aware of the pain. We're so aware of darkness. A society that's consumed by fear. Fear about war, fear about our finances, fear about the climate, fear about if we're honest, the future. Fear that spreads like wildfire through social media and I'm sure has a massive impact on so many of our mental health and the anxiety that we face. Yet the Bible tells us of this hope called Jesus. (coughs) Prophesied in the Old Testament And then lived out through the man. Who came purely out of love. And desire. To have relationship with us. With humanity. To fix the brokenness. To live a life of hope. To give hope to the hurting. And Jesus lived out this prophecy that we read in Isaiah 61. These things that we read about good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, comforting the mourning, providing for those that grieve, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. This is what Jesus came to bring and this is what Jesus lived out bringing hope to us in the midst of darkness. And Jesus then went on and endured the cross to take on darkness and the sin of the world in order that this darkness and sin will no longer have a hold on our society, on our humanity. Bringing hope 
even when surrounded by darkness. A hope that says, this is not it. That this is temporary. That death and darkness, war and famine, hatred and homelessness will come to an end. A hope that we can take hold of and a hope that gives us something to live for. And this is a hope that we hold on to that we cannot get from any other source. This is our unique hope that we can both have in ourselves, but also bring and carry to those around us. So I guess there's a couple of things we need to do. First, we need to ask ourselves, are we anchored in the hope of Jesus? Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not uh, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We read in Matthew chapter 9, of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And this would have meant that she would have been an outcast in society. She would have spent a lot of time on her own. People wouldn't have wanted to go near her. They would have kept their distance from her and that would have turned into people looking down on her. She was in this place of desperation Nowhere to turn to and no hope. And then she hears about this man called Jesus, this healer who was in town. And she says to herself, if only I could touch his gown, then I might be healed. So she sought out Jesus. She reached out and touched his gown. And we read that Jesus said to this woman, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And in this moment, she was fully healed. Again, it's a story with this lack of hope. And this time for a more personal reason. This lady was an outcast. Yet it was in her desperation that she actively sought out Jesus in hope that he would heal her. When we're desperate, when we're in pieces, when we feel like an outcast personally or without hope generally, what direction do we turn in? What do we put our faith in? What do we put our hope in. There's a great quote from Tim Keller who once said, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves you.
How do we hold unswervingly in our hope in Jesus? The woman with this 12-year illness turned towards Jesus and fixed her eyes on him. The direction of her travel changed. In the midst of this uh, crowd, she sought out Jesus. Where is Jesus? Do not lose sight on him. I need to just get close enough to him that I can touch him. And maybe this morning, very understandably, you're feeling a little hopeless. Maybe you're feeling scared. Maybe you're feeling confused. And these are all extremely fair emotions to be feeling off the back of the chaos that surrounds us. But even in the midst of these emotions and in the middle of the storm, our hope is in the Lord. What is God doing right now? How can I catch up with God? Where is God's hope in this painful situation? Where's God's kingdom breaking through? How is this manifesto of hope in Isaiah 61 being fulfilled even when we're surrounded by darkness? The hope that we hold is both a present hope and a future hope. A future hope that there'll be an end to the suffering, to the war, to the crying and to the pain. That one day these things will no longer exist. But there is also a present hope. A present hope that the kingdom of God will break through, yes. But for me, the greatest present hope that we hold right now is that in the midst of this, God is with us. We have a very present hope in his comfort and in his love. We have a hope that our God is a God who knows, understands and went through and goes through suffering. Who understands what it looks like to suffer. Who doesn't just sit and watch but cries and hurts as he sees the pain and the tragedies around the world. We have hope in the fact that Jesus in Gethsemane not only asks that uh, if there's another way, but also just says, God, will you help me? Will you give me comfort to endure this time? And I know that often it may feel like the hope that we hold on to is too limited. Often we feel like we wish our hope was, a, was, was that God right now is going to just end all the war. And we can hope in that. But sometimes we, are, we, we get frustrated when we're honest with ourselves. We say, how many times have I prayed that this war is going to end and still it's not ended? How many times am I going to pray that 
this suffering will no longer be happening. And it's still going on. And we start asking God, where are you in this? God, surely it's your will for these people not to be in pain. Surely it's your will for this suffering to end. And throughout so many years, the church has tried to find an answer for why this is happening. And sometimes we need to accept that we don't know the answers. And it's so difficult to understand what God is doing. Sometimes we need to accept that it's okay for us to be confused or even angry that God's not sorting this out. This is how things work. This is how people related to God throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, people were, were frustrated with, God's, with God not stepping into certain situations or for their situation that they were in. And God stayed present with them in the middle of their frustration. Throughout the Bible, when people were frustrated with God, God did not cast them away. But God said, I am with you in this place. And one thing we can have certainty on is that God is with us and that God is feeling the pain of our situation. That God is feeling the pain of the situation in Israel and in Gaza. That God is feeling the pain of the crying and the tears and the broken families. A God who cares, remember, like a mother caring for her infant child. How relevant is that metaphor right now? And we have a responsibility to bring this hope into a world that feels hopeless. We have a responsibility to bring the king and the kingdom with us in every situation. To be hope carriers to the hopeless, to bring the message of hope. We live in a world that is longing for any kind of hope, willing to grasp onto anything that will give hope. And as followers of Jesus, we hold the greatest hope. We have the message that the world is longing for. But how can we spread that message? As I said earlier, with all this content, all the fake news, all the extreme views. Even though what we hold is the message that people are longing for, the message of hope. It doesn't mean it's easy to get it across to people. Simply relaying the message is not always going to work. We must live out this message. Live in the hope of Jesus. Bring the kingdom of God and the hope of the king together. Because if we bring the king without the kingdom, our message will fall on deaf ears. And if we bring the kingdom without the king then the hope that we carry is limited to aid and short-term comfort. And it's no different from what the rest of the world is carrying. We need to bring the king and the kingdom, the hope of the king and the love of the kingdom together 
as we live out hope. And we must do this humbly and authentically. Having the hope of Jesus does not mean that we don't find times difficult. Having the hope of Jesus does not mean that we don't get scared of the suffering. Having the hope of Jesus does not mean that we don't care about hearing stories of people's suffering. We carry the hope humbly and authentically with radical love and radical transformation, with king and kingdom, with hope and understanding. I want to finish by reading to you the whole of Isaiah 61, this manifesto of hope. Actually, if the worship band can come up whilst I do this now, that'd be great. I'm just going to read to you this manifesto of hope in Isaiah 61, the hope that Jesus brings. And I want to invite you to, in your hearts, to opt in to this hope. Opt in to be a hope carrier. Maybe you need, maybe you're feeling a bit hopeless this morning. Why don't you ask God as we read this to just give you that sense of hope in this passage? Or maybe you want to be a carrier of this hope to others. Why don't we count ourselves into this manifesto, choosing to be a carrier of hope? Why don't we shut our eyes if you feel comfortable whilst I read this manifesto of hope? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And you will... And you will inherit a double portion again. Everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make a covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. 
All that acknowledge the Lord will be blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>